We have been um, talking about our teaching series, These Things We Know For Sure, and we're basing that on what's sometimes called Mary's Magnificat, or a song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, wrote to celebrate all that God is, all that he had done, and all that he was going to do um, in the birth of his son, her son, Jesus Christ. And we, we kind of focused on the certainty that she had in God amidst a ridiculous amount of uncertainty, both in her cultural environment and in her personal life. And I wanna, I've been thinking a lot about this passage and about us over the, the month of December, and I wanted to be really clear, right? When we talk about trading our uncertainties for the certainty of God, it doesn't mean we have to put on a shiny, happy face. It doesn't mean we have to pretend that like everything is all right. It means that we can move forward confidently knowing that God is with us and that even in our hardest moments, that he's still, he's still at work. And I, I joke about this sometimes, uh, but oftentimes the reaction is, well, Tom, you have to say those things. That's your job. That's what you get paid to do. Um, or that was Mary. She's the mother of Jesus. Of course, like we expect her to be, have this incredible faith in the certainty of God. Um, so what we wanted to do today is just that certainty that God offers is available to all of us. So I've asked a couple of friends to share their stories of how they've experienced God's certainty amidst uncertain times. So please join me in welcoming our good friend, Ed. Good morning. Uh, first, a bit of trivia. My name is Ed Gillespie. Uh, but uh, today marks the 20th anniversary of the first time I ever stepped foot in Crossroads. So, uh, so uh, these things we know for sure. Um, I was 31 years old when I got my first job in advertising at a New York advertising agency. And right from the get-go, I developed a strong relationship with the with the gentleman who owned the agency, his name also was Ed. So he became Ed F, I was Ed G. Um, and Ed took me under his wing and really, uh, in many ways, became my mentor and in a lot of ways he became like a father figure to me. We not only uh, spent time at work, he taught me about running an agency, about what it meant to, to do everything in advertising, but he also became a tremendous friend and uh, somebody I looked up to. He invited me to play racquetball with him at his court on, before work. He lent me his car and, and he gave me his car to drive to work. And, and we just did so many things together. And he was just uh, a person who became such a special person in my life. Now, fast forward, I had other things going on. Um, and at one point, I had three children under the age of five years old. And if you can imagine, New York advertising world, small children didn't exactly uh, mesh well. So I decided to leave and I went to go work for one of our clients. So Ed then became, I became the client and he became the, the vendor, if you will. And our relationship to continued to flourish over those years as I moved up to Connecticut and uh, started a new life here. Uh, fast forward a couple years, my kids are grown a bit more. They really don't want to hang out with me anymore. So I decided I want to go back to my first love of advertising. At that time, coincidentally, Ed had sold his New York agency and he called me up. He said, why don't we start a new agency in Connecticut together? We can go in, we could share the profits, we could run it together, and we'll just start off and pick up where we left off. And I thought, this was perfect. This was everything I had always wanted. 
So we uh, started the agency. Everything was going wonderful. Um, it was just uh, we're picking up clients, doing work, having fun, enjoying the time together, um, and everything was going great. And then they always came to that part of, we're going to share the profits. And every year, Ed would say, oh, you know, we've got some audit things going on with the parent company. We've got to work out. And, and that went on for year after year. And then finally, after four years, he sat down one day and told me that he'd been lying the whole time, that all the profits were being funneled to offset some debts he had incurred when he sold his last agency, and that every year when he told me, oh, hang on, it's coming, it's coming, it was all a lie. He'd been lying to my face for literally uh, years. And to me, when somebody who is like your mentor and also like your father figure, by this time my, my actual dad had passed, and so Ed was like the, the main male role model in my life, you find out that they just blatantly lied to you. It was, it just really struck me and, and it was devastating in a lot of ways. So I uh, spent some time thinking about what next, and it was clear that uh, you know, to save the marriage, we needed to break up the relationship. And, and what, what I heard God talking to me is that all you need to worry about is the relationship. Don't worry about anything else. So I uh, you know, talked down with Ed, and basically I went to him, and I literally used these words, I would like your blessings to move on and leave and go somewhere else. And I actually used that word that I wanted his blessings. And he said, I give you my blessing. You can go somewhere else. So I started looking at other jobs, and I started looking at what I wanted to do. And, you know, I'm an idiot. I use my work email to do these things. And so these were being monitored. And then one day I woke up, and I went online in the morning, and everything was blocked out. My access to my files was blocked. My access to my computer was blocked. Everything about it was blocked. And I kind of reached out, and I got the, back the message that, you know, you've betrayed me by going out and looking for other work, and, and you're violating our, our competition violation, and you're shut out from life. And... Now, <laughs> devastated was not the word. Um, I was actually down, I remember this day, I was downstairs by myself because I was up early in the morning. And, you know, sometimes you read those Psalms of David, the early Psalms where he's crying out to God, and you think no one could feel that way. And there I was, prone, literally prone on the floor, just saying, God, what have you done? Like, what, I've kind of like been trying to follow what, you, what I thought I was being told to do, and it, everything just came crushing down on me in such a, a fierce way. Um, it was a Sunday, so I ended up going to Crossroads. And when you walk in that day, um, there was rocks on everybody's chairs. And, you know, because Crossroads is weird and you never know what's going to happen. So, <laughs> uh, so um, and over the course of the service, the message is basically whatever anxiety you're coming with, whatever troubles you're coming with, whatever is stressing you out, just put it and leave it with the rock and Jesus is going to carry it and hold it and take care of it. And at that moment, just as devastated, prone, I was just this peace that just, just literally rained and flowed through my body, and every anxiety, every misgiving, any thought I had of, of issue just was totally gone. And, and it was a, just a total blessing. And so fast forward, I ended up did leaving. I went to another agency in, uh, in Connecticut and started out there. And I took a little cut in salary with a, with a promise of upside on commission. It was all going to work out well because I had never like, not succeeded in, in, in this business role here, so I wasn't worried about that. But nothing ever clicked at this new agency. Nothing got going. No business ever started coming in. It was just really 
I was there, I was doing the work, and I was working hard, but nothing ever clicked. And at the end of the year, uh, by December, the boss came to me and said, you know, we gotta let you go. And so, okay, <laughs> very you know, shock again. So here it was again, um, now it's uh, rolling out into, into January, and um, you know, had no job, no real prospects. We'd kind of burned through all of our savings that year, because um, uh, there, so it was like we really had no money to fall onto. And um, I remember uh, one night, Eileen and I were talking, and if you know Eileen, you know, Eileen worries about everything. Eileen, like, Eileen is anxious, he worries about worrying. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I turned to her and I said, are you worried? And she said, no, I'm not. And neither was I. And you know, this whole notion that you know, squirrels are eating, the birds are eating, that, that we're not gonna be in trouble. And again, it was the second time of you know, these things you know for sure, um, there was just no doubt that things were gonna work out. And, and they did. And so a couple of weeks later, you know, I said, uh, we got together and decided we're just going to go off on our own and start something new. And that was 16 years ago and uh, basically started an agency that has just been uh, a joy and a blessing in, in every way possible. Um, and everything has come around. Ed and I managed to become cordial and then we managed to become friends again. And so uh, the relationship now is, is, uh, is, is really good. And even that agency that I went to that nothing worked out, Three people who I met there now work with me at this, at where I am now. So everything, I guess, works out for a reason, and it was just a, a true blessing. So thank you for listening. So like, like I was saying, Ed's difficulties didn't disappear, but God gave him, Scripture calls it the peace that passes understanding. And if you've ever been in that, you know, you know what that is, right? The world is kind of falling down around you, and yet God's peace is with you. You feel it in your body. You feel it around you. Thank you, Ed, so much for, for sharing that story with us. Um, I want to ask uh, Stacy to come up now and share her story with us. Hello? Is it on? Okay. Hi, I'm Stacy. if you haven't met me. <laughs> Feels like an AA meeting. Um, so <laughs> I go for the jokes because, like, I'm super nervous right now. So, whew. so, um, but I, I think if I say that I'm nervous, it, it actually helps a little bit, kind of diffuses that a little bit. So I have some notes here. So um, my story is about God taking care of me um, this past couple of months when my dad was getting ready for God to take him to heaven. And um, so on July 31st, this past July, I got a call in the middle of the night from my father's landlord that he was really sick and they were taking him to the hospital. And I stayed awake all night. I, I, I lived with my mom and I was like, and we stayed awake all night like watching the Golden Girls because I couldn't sleep and I was waiting for the phone call to find out what was happening. And so... I'm going to skip over a few things, but my dad had COVID pneumonia, and he had a blood infection, and it was really, really serious. And so on, this was on July 31st, and on August 11th, um, I, was, I flew to see him. And prior to that, I had talked to him, and I had said, Dad, let me come down. He's like, no, 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 you're supposed to come for Christmas, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, no, all right. You know, I didn't want to upset him. He was already really scared and freaked out from being in the hospital. But um, 
when I, when I found out he had gone home and then he had to go back because he had gotten worse again. And so I said, that's it, I'm jumping on the plane. And as I was in the limo uh, going to the airport, they called me and they said, your dad's now in the ICU. He's on a ventilator. So, and God had prepared me for this, like way before any of this started happening. So my dad's been separated from my mom for about nine years. He moved to, like nine years ago, he moved out to Palm Springs, California. And prior to that, it was almost kind of like they were divorced in spirit, but they were living in the same house, if that makes sense, for many, many, many years. And so, and my dad was kind of estranged from my older sister, like she didn't talk to him. So it was like just me that had to go out there and kind of try to take care of stuff. But I had visited him, like even though it was difficult, we always had kind of a really hard time with each other, all of us as a family. Um, I, I wanted to maintain the relationship and I knew that he loved me. So I would visit him like in spring and um, my dad, when he was out there, like I remember when he first moved out there, like asking people from Crossroads to pray for him and stuff. And he started going to this mega church. Now, this is like one of this church's Bible studies right here. Like this church has like 6,000 people. They have separate entrances. When you drive there, it's like going to Disney World. Like it's insane. It's huge. But when I had visited him one time, I had met some of his Christian friends from this church, and this one lady saw my posts on Facebook about my dad being sick. I was staying at his condo in Palm Springs. His landlord was absolutely wonderful and said, you can drive his car, you can stay at his condo, you know, um, I'll take care of his four Boston Terriers while you're here. And um, so, you know, that was really great, but I was kind of alone, and I didn't know how to reach anybody at dad's church. Well, this lady found um, my number in her phone. She had it from years ago when I had visited. And, uh, and so she contacted me and connected me with all these people from my dad's church that he was going to. And these people absolutely adopted me while I was there. Um, I started going to the Bible study that my father had gone to out there. Um, they were there to have dinner with me, to meet me for breakfast, to just uh, text with me, to pray with me, anything and everything that I needed. And these two are, that's me, and I am with uh, Denise and Jeff, who are two of the people from the Bible study that I met. And all these people are now like my dear friends, by the way. Like, um, they bought me that mug, because that's from this really cool uh, diner out there in Palm Springs called Keedy's Diner, where they haven't changed anything since the 1950s, and it's awesome. And it's good food, too. Um, but yeah, so they just absolutely were incredible. I was, was visiting my dad every single day. Um, my dad was on the ventilator. He never came off. Um, so he couldn't, like, he couldn't talk. And I don't, you know, everybody was saying to me, he hears you, he hears you. Um, but this was really a time when uh, I, I got to tell him so many things. And before, right before I had left, I have a Christian counselor that I talked to. And I, this woman is amazing. And before I found out that my dad was sick, I had been talking with her about telling him how sorry I was for pushing him away when I was younger, for being disrespectful to him all kinds of things like that. 
Well, now my dad, who anybody who knew him will tell you that he was very opinionated, and it was very hard to talk to him because he would lecture and stuff. He's like a captive audience because he can't talk. He's on the ventilator. So every single day that I could visit him, I would just go there and I would just pour out everything, all the love that I had to give him. And I told him I was sorry for different things. And I prayed for him. I like read, read some scripture to him. I, I read from C.S. Lewis to him because he loved C.S. Lewis. And uh, so I, I was really privileged. God gave me the privilege of spending all that time with him. So, and... There was another lady from the church. This lady has become a dear friend. She was one of those people that you meet them and you're just like, I love you, like immediately. She didn't know me from a can of paint. She saw my prayer requests like on the church's um, email thing. And she was like, I want to give this lady my services as a ministry. She's a patient advocate. Like if you're on my Facebook, I plug this woman as much as I can. She drove me to the hospital stayed with me, talked to doctors for me, and was the loveliest and gentlest person. So these were all some things that God did for me. But I got to tell you, and I won't make it too long, Tom K., I promise. I, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about one week that was the most insane week I think I've ever had. So I'm driving my dad's car, and my dad stayed in this gorgeous hospital in Palm Springs called Eisenhower, where there's like a picture of President Eisenhower, and you feel like you're in the White House. This beautiful hospital. He was there for about 17 days, and then Medicare says, hey, you got to get out. So they had to put him in what's called an LTAC, which is long-term acute care hospital. And the nearest one was 76 miles away. So I'm driving his Toyota uh, Corolla, and uh, I did not know that this was a salvaged car. So Monday, so I'm driving, and it's like an hour and 20 minutes, and it's really stressful, and I'm driving on I-10 through the California desert, and there's motorcycles, like, passing in between you and, you know, whatever. So I make it to the, to the LTAC, and I see him. On the way back, got a flat tire, blew out the tire on I-10. Awesome. So I called AAA. Like, AAA, please come and help me. It's 90 degrees out here, I'm in the desert. So they came and helped me, towed me home. Okay, got a new tire, fine. Then I said, Wednesday, I'm gonna go back to try to see him again. Because it was a long and a stressful drive, right? And it took a good chunk of time to travel there. So Wednesday, I'm traveling to see him again and I checked his oil, because I figured he's been in the hospital for a while, like, I don't know the state, the state of his car. I didn't know that I, you have to really like slam the hood of that car and you have to practically like sit on it to get it to close. So at 50 miles an hour, the hood flew up and smashed the windshield as I was on my way to my dad's. And I just remember like screaming, Jesus help me, Jesus help me, <laughs> and pulling over. And miraculously, thank God for protecting me, I was able to not crash into anyone. And I got out and I put the hood down, and this lady pulled up. Are you okay? And I just looked at her like, oh, uh, okay, yeah, I don't know. So I had to get towed again the second time in a week. And I got them, those, uh, the people that come to your, your house or wherever your car is, to replace the windshield. Okay. Didn't make it to see Dad that day, but all right. So now Friday comes. This is where the story really gets insane. So... Friday, I'm going down to see him again, and after that accident with the hood, I was, like, scared to drive. 
Because the highways there are huge, and it's, you know, and the stressful situation, and like, what else is going to happen? So about halfway to the hospital in Redlands, California, I pulled off into a gas station because I wanted to check the air because like that indicator light was on. So I'm checking the air. Okay, it's fine. And, and I drove off and I made it all the way to the hospital in Rancho Cucamonga before I realized that I had left my purse on the ground at the gas station. And I couldn't remember where it was, because I don't know this, you know, I don't know the area, like I couldn't remember, the, it was one of those things where you just pull, you see the sign for gas, you just pull off. Couldn't remember where I was. So I looked in the back seat, saw my purse was not there, and I started screaming. And because in there was my wallet, my, you know, my driver's license, my credit card, my COVID vaccine card, which you typically need to get into the hospital, my dad's wallet, my dad's phone, so everything, and my book of notes with all the stuff from the doctors and the so, so I was panicking and I went in and I like ah, to the security guard. He was like, okay, ah. and I said, you know, I made a, uh, I don't know. So I called these two wonderful people, Jeff and Denise, and they were like, look, we'll meet you halfway. We'll drive up and down and we'll try to find it. And I, and I was just you know panicking at this point. So they met me, they bought me like a Chick-fil-A sandwich because I had not eaten anything, and we're driving up and down trying to remember where this gas station is. And finally, this is the really wild part, finally we find the gas station. I'm like, yes, this is the gas station, that's what it looked like inside, I remember it, that's the guy. And the man comes up to me and says, you're the purse lady, and I'm like, yes, I'm the purse lady. And he says, some, uh, you know, Good Samaritan came in, and I think, it, I think it's in the safe. Awesome. So we're like, thank you, God, blah, blah, blah. Then a woman attendant comes up to me, and she says, oh, was it a black purse? I said, yeah. She said, another woman said it was hers, and I gave it to her. And I just stood there like, and I, Denise and I, and we just looked at each other, and we just, and for the first time in my life, I called 911 and made a police report. Police were basically like, yeah, we're not going to do anything, and I was like, awesome. So, <laughs> and we still had to get to dad, and I forgot to mention, in the middle of all this happening, the nephrologist was calling me from the hospital and saying, you have to get there because your dad's not doing well. <laughs> so I, I was panicking. I called the nurse, and they said, no, 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 it's okay, you, you've got some time. So I made it to the hospital at about 5 p.m. And I'm thinking, I have absolutely nothing. I have the number of the police report. That's, like, all I've got. I don't have my ID. I have nothing. And this man is sitting there, okay? And he's, like, this kind of good-looking, sort of older man, security guard, and I went up to him and I said, look, the doctor was calling me. They tell me, telling me I have to get in there. I was here on Monday. I have nothing, but I, I made a police report, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it's okay. I'll call the ICU and I'll get you in. And I was, said, thank you. Thank you so much. And I, I said, what's your name? And he goes, Simple Paul. And I was like, I thought I heard him wrong. And I said, I'm sorry, what was that? And he goes, my name is Simple Paul and I love the Lord. And I started bawling. Like, I just started 
bawling, and I just said, I'm so glad you're here, I'm so glad you're here. And he had this like little Caribbean sort of accent, and he was like, God, give it a peace that passes all understanding. Like he was like praying over me. And it was so, but that for me was God making it so clear in a way that was undeniable that he was there for me. And I got in there with, Denise came in with me, and we prayed for dad, I talked to dad, and she was like, I don't think he's ready to go yet. And I was like, okay, I, I hope he's not because I can't stay here overnight. And he wasn't, which was wonderful because he stayed with us for about another two weeks. And during that time, after the accident, oh, and by the way, Jeff and Denise handed me like 200 bucks in cash because I had absolutely nothing. Other people from the church did as well. Um, and so dad stayed with us for about another two weeks. And my dear friend Tammy, the patient advocate, who is just incredible, she drove me to, to uh, be with him at the hospital. And the day that God took my dad to heaven, um, she stayed there all day with me from like 9 o'clock in the morning until like 7.30 at night. And... Uh, we, you know, we prayed for him and, and talked to him and sang to him and everything. And I came out at like 5 p.m. to the lobby to uh, like charge my phone or something. And Simple Paul was there. And I was like, and I walked over and I said, are you Mr. Paul? And he said, yeah. And I said, you remember me? Yeah. And I said, you know, that day I didn't like think you were real. <laughs> I thought you were like an angel. I thought you were like... I thought you were like actual Paul, like just coming down <laughs> to hang out, you know, and to help me. And, uh, and he said, I love the way he said it. I have to do the accent because I loved his accent. And he goes, I work here, but I work for him. And I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And um, Debbie, if you would give me the last slide, please. So the day that, uh, so um, the day that my dad's service and his wonderful megachurch gives people funerals for free. Even if you do not go there, even if you don't know Jesus at all, they just ask that you like, give a gospel. They always have somebody do a gospel message, but they give it to you for free. And so Tammy was coming to drive me and pick me up. She was like my plus one at the funeral because I was going to be by myself and I had to do the eulogy. And I was like, Tammy, you got to come up and rescue me if I start you know, breaking, up, <laughs> breaking up. And she was a little bit early. And I had walked one of my dad's dogs that morning, and it was a little bit, like, rainy, which is really strange for Palm Springs, right? And I was kind of bummed, like, oh, you know, I wanted the beautiful weather, but that's okay. And as she's waiting out there for me to get to be ready to come out, when she picked me up, Tammy texted me, and she said, look at what Jesus and your, and your dad did this morning. And so that was the morning that, of uh, the service. And, uh, you know, somebody from work said to me, oh, they were like, you had the trip from hell. And I said, you know, I didn't say this to the person at the time, but I said something like it. I never felt so touched by God and by heaven as I did on that trip. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life, as strange as it sounds. And I'm so blessed that I could say goodbye to my dad in that way. And I have assurance that he's in heaven with him. And I'm very happy to say that. So thanks. Stacey, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Um, 
because I don't, like, for those of you who haven't ever stood in front of a group like this and, and spoke or anything, never mind about something like these guys are sharing. It takes a huge amount of courage, and just to be that vulnerable is just awesome. So, Stacy, thank you so much for, um, for sharing from your heart. Yeah, you can clap for her again. <laughs> and last but certainly not least is our good friend Mo. Good morning. Oh, God is so wonderful for doing what he's done for Ed and for Stacy. And I'm sure that, you know, they're not alone in how God continues to do for each and one of us. Um, if I was to put this microphone upon my heart, it, it'd be a really good beat. <laughs> um, my, my drive over here, I, I, I sat in silence and just really praying and, and talking to God. And so many emotions was running through me, but it was, it was good emotions. It was beautiful emotions because it's just, because God is so good. And every struggle in which we go through, Sometimes they're raw. Sometimes they're really cut deep straight into our souls. But there's always that sense of peace and knowing that these struggles that we're facing, or we're, you know, we're not going through it by ourselves. God is always there. And we have a choice. We're thinking about Mary and the choice in which she made um, always and continues to inspire me. A few months ago, um, I was going through some, some hard times and through some challenges. And one of them basically was um, the attack of my identity. I was um, seeking counsel through Tom Kay and Leanne and Janie and Heidi. Um, all those that I knew that I would receive proper counsel. But it took me a while to get to that point. I was facing a battle in my kitchen one day when I was washing dishes. And in my thoughts, it was, it was just a battle going back and forth and thinking, um, why am I not liked? Why do I feel rejected? Why don't I feel loved? And I would ask God, because, you know, it's not just one-sided. I also have to reflect, reflect upon myself. I said, is there something that I did? Is there something that I said that I was not aware of? So I prayed for that. And in the struggle that I was going through facing in that kitchen, it was hitting me pretty good. And then all of a sudden, it was just this voice that said, get it over and done with. Just end it. And if I was not who I am today, I would not be standing here this day, at this very moment. I would have given in. I would have ended it. 
but I didn't. I was so angry with that thought in my mind. And I rebuked it. And I said, that is not who I am. I am a child of light. I am a child of God. I am the apple of his eye. I am who I am this day because of him. And I was thinking, I was like, wow, you know, it's, if the cost at the cross depended on a, on a wager, that everything will come into fruition if everyone would have accepted and loved Jesus. It would have been a lost wager. That sacrifice was done out of an unselfish love, a perfect plan. And I stood there and I said, wow, my focus was totally in the wrong thing. My focus was everything that was surrounding me. And that's the way the enemy attacks. But my focus was vertical. Because there lies my prayer, my trust, my hope. And in everything that I do, and it was aimed towards God and accepting what he was going to do in my life. And I thought of Mary and her her radical choice, her knowing who her God is. And just trusting no matter what the outcome was going to be. And you're talking about circumstances, judgment, you know, from, from everybody. And, you know, her mother raised her well because she trusted God that much. Her relationship was beautiful. It was strong. She trusted God. She loved God. For her to be bold enough and say, it shall be. It'll be done. Whatever it is that God wants me to do, I will do. She had this beautiful, radical faith. No matter what circumstance or situation was going to be laid at her feet, she stepped in boldly, trusting her God. And I thank God that she did that. And you might, mind you, she was, what, 13, 15 years old at that time? That is a beautiful relationship. And even though her radical faith was different, my radical faith is still the same because it involves our God, our Abba Father. So when I was going through these um, through the struggle, God showed me this beautiful vision of a butterfly in a briar bush. And that reflected my radical faith in God. So I encourage you to trust and hope. No matter the situation, the circumstances, no matter what other people say or do, Whatever it is, trust in God, because we have a faithful God. That I know for sure. Amen.
So one of the, I think it's Psalm 16, um, the psalmist says, I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Um, that's so awesome, Mo. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing with us. Um, for you guys here in the room, I, um, I neglected. You guys are going to need some note cards, which Paul and Gino have. They're going to, if you guys could stand up, maybe one of you start in the front and pass those out, one start in the back, and also some pens. And we're going to take a few minutes now and just do um, some reflecting, right, on those uh, situations in our lives, those circumstances, those uncertainties that might be present for us. And I want you to write them down on this card. And um, the band is going to play. Ben is going to just noodle around for, for a few minutes, give us some time to think and, and do, some, do some business with God, um, whatever it might be. If there's something that causes a pit in your stomach, something that keeps you awake at night, whatever that might be, I would encourage you to, to write it down on that, um, on that card. And then the band is going to play a song. And I would encourage you to offer that song up to God or just sit and be still and listen to the words. And then after that song is over, I'm going to give you a chance to exchange those uncertainties for the certainty of God as represented in a verse from his word. On this table over here are these Christmas ornaments and they each have a verse on them. And they're representative of those things in which Mary found her certainty. Right, so I want you to, after the song is over, I'll stand back up here and I'll, I'll kind of direct you to, to go do that. But that's the idea. We're going to trade our uncertainty for God's certainty with this physical representation. And for those of you who are participating with us online, um, if you just want to put in the chat, I want to trade my uncertainty for God's certainty, we will make sure that you get one of these ornaments. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and so grateful that your faithfulness remains. Lord, that you write our story. Lord, that you are present in our past, you are presently here with us now, and that you will always be with us moving forward. And Lord, you are the author of our lives, and we place our lives in your hands and trust, Lord, that you are in control. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful stories and testimonies that were shared today that reveal your goodness and your grace towards us, that we would be reminded that you are forever faithful. God, we praise you this morning. We thank you. We lift up your name. We love you, Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ben. So as you guys head out, I want you to take that card and you fold it up and there's a silver tray on the left of that table and you just leave those cards in that tray and then you pick up one of those ornaments with the verse on it and then you go hang it on your Christmas tree and then when somebody asks what's up with that ornament, you tell them your story of how you found God's certainty amidst all the uncertainty of life. We love you guys. We'll see you next time.